Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Check out the self-pour beer wall at Walters. Walters is located across the street from Nationals Park. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard. Walters is your spot for all of the NBA playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Corbin sets and a swing and a long drive to deep left center field. This is way back. This one is going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Two and two on Guriel. Corbin winds and delivers and a swing and a fly ball to deep left toward the corner. Hernandez back looking up, going, going, and gone. Goodbye. And the pitch. McCormick hits it to deep left center field. Thomas on the run, still going back. He looks up and it is gone. Chaz McCormick with his third home run of the season in the bottom of the lineup continues to do damage for the Astros. Siri scores ahead of him. It's now Houston 5 and the Nationals nothing. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, May 16th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we pointed this out on the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast. When the Nats hit this season, they win. When the Nats do not hit this season, they lose. The Nats, in their now-concluded series against the Houston Astros at Nationals Park, scored 13 runs on Saturday night and thus won that game. But the Nats, in games one and three of the series, totaled a mere one run. And the Nats, not shockingly, lost those two games, including an 8-0 loss on Sunday afternoon Nats this season now 12 and 24 have a National League East worst run differential of minus 36. You know, it's funny with these Nats games this season, Mark, because you can think that you know how the game is going to go early in the game and then the game can end up taking an entirely different turn. Sunday's game was one of those games. Looked like a pitcher's duel between Patrick Corbin and Justin Verlander. We would have had a lot to talk about with that. But the game ended up becoming very different from that. And the game ended up becoming a blowout loss to the Nats. Yeah, I was with you. I thought, hey, we're headed for like a pretty good game here, pretty good pitchers duel. I don't know that I expected Corbin to keep shutting them out all afternoon, but his pitch count was down. He was really effective. And you also knew that Verlander, even though he hadn't allowed a hit, his pitch count was sky high. So you thought, well, they're going to get to the Astros bullpen here at some point. And if Corbin can keep it close, we may have something interesting here in the late innings. And it just did not play out that way at all. The Nats could not get anything going at the plate, not against Verlander and not against the relievers who came in. And as soon as Corbin gave up those couple of home runs, it was like the air just fizzled out of the balloon. That was it. We're playing out the string. And it turned into a pretty 
nondescript and kind of ugly loss in the end. And it's too bad because I, I do think it was shaping up to be something pretty good. And in a lot of ways, a start that we would come out of this and say, boy, Patrick Corbin has made some real progress here. Look, he just went toe-to-toe with Justin Verlander, who's pitched as well as anybody in the majors this season. And I suppose you can still look back and find the positives in there, but I can't get over the end results. You know, After all that, his ERA actually went up in this start. <laughs> there was a point there. He's like He's got it down in the fives for the first time this year. He, if he finishes strong, he can even get close to getting it down to the fours. He ends up giving up five runs in the end on three homers, and the ERA goes up to 628. So I, I'm having a hard time really processing here how to think about Corbin. Has he made some major strides here, or has he just kind of become an acceptable big league pitcher who still can't win games for you? Yeah, I mean, Patrick Corbin, right, he's not Josiah Gray. He's not Yoan Adone. He's not some evolving pitcher. He's not some growing pitcher. He's a guy who is a veteran who you're paying a lot of money to. He needs to be better than what he's been the last few years. We've talked about that ad nauseum. And yeah, I mean, as much as things look pretty good early on, I mean, he begins his outing with four scoreless innings. Ultimately, five runs and six innings is not good enough. You know, he gives up three home runs. You know, he wasn't awful. You know, the line maybe looks a little worse than what the actual output was in the game because he gave up all the runs over the fifth, sixth, and seventh innings. But still, it's like at the end of the day, six years, $140 million. You're not paying that for five runs and six innings, no matter how you arrive at the five runs and six innings. And, you know, that's kind of just where we're at. You know, watching this game, though, it it really did strike me. I mean, we know the Astros are good. We know they can hit a lot of home runs. But boy, it is a grind to face them over three games because every inning you have to be on. And, you know, you can do well for portions of a game, but that's not good enough because the Astros can get you at any moment. But again, four scoreless innings from Corbin. The Astros at the end of the game have put up eight runs, have hit four home runs. Up and down that lineup are threats. And You know, you watch this game, and yes, the Nats were good offensively on Saturday night, as we discussed, but in this game on Sunday, the Nats totaled four hits. All of them were singles. The Astros on Sunday totaled four home runs, okay, and and, and finished the game with 11 hits. So it's like, there's your difference right there. The Astros can hit, and the Astros are a really good team. I get that. The Nats are not, but man, it just, it hits you right in the face watching this Astros team. That's a lineup. That's a big boy lineup that produces, and the Nats lineup right now, unfortunately, is not producing with anywhere near the consistency that the really good teams in the sport produce at. And look who hit the home runs for them, at least off Corbin. You've got Gurriel, the number five hitter. You've got McCormick, the number eight hitter. Maldonado, the number nine hitter. So it's not even like there was their big boys. I mean, Altuve homered in the ninth off Paolo Espino, but Brantley didn't do it. Bregman didn't do it. Alvarez didn't do it. That's lineup depth for you. We know the Nationals used to have that. They don't have that anymore. And it is pretty strikingly different. I agree. And even their pitching staff, you think, oh, well, hey, you got Verlander out after five innings. Maybe there's a shot here. No, they're throwing relievers out there who are pumping gas and getting out of us. I mean, the Astros are an exceptionally good team. There's a reason they just had an 11-game winning streak. And as we talked about, that was built mostly on the backs of their pitching staff. Aside from the blow-up game on Saturday night, pitching staff has been phenomenal. And so you do. You have to be at your very best to beat a team like that. And the Nationals both as a team and their individual performers have stretches within a game that they look really good and they can compete with anyone, but it doesn't take much to have it flip. And the difference in home runs here is so striking to me. They're giving up home runs. They don't hit home runs of their own. That's essentially what this game was in the end. Yeah, there's no doubt. And if you hit home runs as a team, 
you can get away with a lot of other negative stuff. If you don't hit home runs, as the Nats for the most part don't, then you can do a lot of other decent things maybe, and it still maybe is not enough. If you look at the Nats team rate stats, like team batting average, team on base, even team slugging, it's actually not that bad. It's creeped up here in recent days, if not weeks, but the home runs really still stand out. The Nats this season, over 36 games, have totaled 26 home runs. The Astros this season, over 35 games, have totaled 48 home runs. So the Astros, in one fewer game than the Nats have played, have hit 22 more homers than the Nats have hit. And man, that is huge. That is such a big deal. And the Nats just still have a hard time hitting home runs. You know, even in the, the Saturday night game, they only hit two homers. It's still a lot of singles, a lot, you know, a decent amount of walks, which are good and you'll take those, but like you need more than what you're getting. And, you know, I know things are weird this season with the baseballs and there's been a lot of talk about that, but there are teams hitting homers. The Nats aren't hitting homers. And uh, that really jumped out watching this series, um, you know, especially like, you know, you have the Astros big guns, right? This was an underwhelming series for Juan Soto by his standards. This was an underwhelming series for Josh Bell by his standards. Uh, You know, Nelson Cruz is really good on Saturday night. He was back to being 0 for 4 on Sunday. Like the Nats, big guns especially, can be doing more, are capable of doing more. And unfortunately, we just didn't see that this weekend. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that the way their lineup is built, they need to get it from those three, four big guys in the heart of the lineup. They're not going to get it from the bottom of the order. You can't count on that happening, at least maybe every once in a while it does. Whereas the Astros can have a game where the big guys don't do a whole lot but the bottom of the order is able to hit for power and drive in a bunch of runs. So, yeah, Soto, uh, this seemed to be the culmination for me of uh, a period of time here where he does not look comfortable at the plate at all. He looked lost at times. Obviously, Justin Verlander is really good, but it wasn't just him. It was against the relievers as well. We have seen a bit of a recurring theme here with him. His batting average, I know that's not everything. Batting average is down to 260. That's not Juan Soto-like to do that. That's a problem. Josh Bell has been great, but he did have a, a weak game here. Nelson Cruz, as good as he was on uh, Saturday, didn't really have anything going on in this game. So you need the singles and the walks from Cesar Hernandez and then the guys hitting, you know, six, seven, eight, nine. But you need the power, and especially with guys on base, from Soto, Bell, Cruz, Yadiel Hernandez. That's kind of their only formula. There's not a lot of different ways for them to produce runs. Now, when it works, it looks great. We've seen it like you outlined the other night. In their last, what is it, six wins, they score like seven or more runs every time. They're not winning any games four to three. (laughs) That's just not how they're built. And so you either got to score runs in bunches or hope for the best in a low-scoring game, and that's just not happening right now for them. Yeah, Juan Soto in the series, two for 10 with a double, a single, and three walks. He on Sunday afternoon went 0 for 4, left four men on base. So the RBI opportunities were there in that number two spot. He just did not deliver upon them. Uh, Josh Bell in the series, three for 12 with three singles and a walk. You know, we saw more defensive sloppiness by the Nats on Sunday. This is becoming a way too often occurrence here for the Nats this year. You can't control your pitching all the time, right? You can't control your hitting all the time. By and large, defense is something you have control over, and it's a great way to make up for deficiencies in other areas. And the Nats right now are giving away outs, if not runs. So Patrick Corbin tossed his four scoreless innings, then in the top of the fifth, allowed two runs. And look, the two runs scored on a homer that Corbin gave up, a one-out two-run bomb by Martin Maldonado to left field to put the Astros up 2 nothing. So yes, I mean, it's not like Corbin is totally absolved of this inning, but 
You know, he issues a one-out six-pitch walk of Chaz McCormick. Okay, again, bad on Corbin. And McCormick was down at 1.02. But then Corbin has McCormick picked off. Runner goes, Corbin throws, they haven't picked. Bell the throw to second, but it is wide of the mark, and Hernandez had to reach for it. And safe at second is McCormick. And McCormick ends up stealing second on this botched pickoff by the Nats because Josh Bell makes this atrocious throw to Cesar Hernandez at second base, and McCormick ends up being safe. It was an odd play. Bell stepped to his left to make the throw, and then essentially like submarined the throw high and way left of Hernandez. And what should have been an out wasn't an out. So look, shame on Corbin for the walk and the homer, but he had McCormick picked off. Corbin did his job there. All Bell has to do is make a decent throw to Cesar and you get the out. And the Nats butchered the play. Yeah, look, as much as Josh Bell has been better defensively than the reputation was, we're talking mostly about work on ground balls, scooping bad throws, catching pop-ups down the line, that kind of stuff. The throwing is still an issue, and it's maybe not Ryan Zerman territory, but you do hold your breath when he has to make a throw, especially like that. Now, it's a little bit of a tricky play for a right-handed first baseman because you're throwing it directly into the runner, and what you have to do is get into a position where you've cleared the runner and have a clear angle to get it to the second baseman. And I think it sounds like what he needed to do there is as soon as the runner breaks and they know they've got him, he's sitting back and catching the throw at the base. He needs to be stepping forward as the throw is the pickoff throw is coming to him. So now he's already in a better position on a better angle and doesn't have to then run to get himself in position and then try to make that awkward looking throw. It wasn't good. It was not clean. Even if they somehow got him and look on replay, they thought that maybe uh, the runner had overslid the base and they didn't get the call. And you can argue over replay whether that should have been overturned or not. But put yourself in a better position to make that play and you never come to that. Don't leave it in the hands of New York. That was a frustrating moment. Corbin should have had the out. It should have been two outs, nobody on. Who knows what happens after that? But the defense definitely failed him there. He did a good job. It's part of his game is pickoffs. He's been pretty good at it. They let him down, and then in turn, it had a domino effect and really cost them. You know, we on the last installment of the podcast talked about the size of some of these Nat sluggers. I think this is where Bell's size can actually work against him. He's listed as being 6'4", 261. He is a big dude. And when you are tall and long, there's a lot that can go wrong for you mechanically, both as a batter, but also as a thrower of the baseball. Like I said, that was an awkward looking throw that he make, made. It was like a loopy throw. It was like it was like a submariner, a reliever. For those of you who remember Todd Froworth with the Orioles like 30 years ago, that's what Bell looked like making that throw. And, you know, I could see that when you don't have a short, compact body, things can get out of whack. And I wonder sometimes if that maybe it helps to explain Bell's throwing issues. Also, like his uh, slump to begin last season, you know, your swing can get all uh, fukakta because, you know, your arms are long and you got to have things in just the right spot. So the size can certainly work for you, but I think it can work against you too. It's kind of the same philosophy on pitchers who sometimes you say really tall pitchers have a harder time because it's harder to keep all your body parts in sync and keep your mechanics. And sure, same thing would apply for a big first baseman. I think back to the best one I've seen over the years here is Adam LaRoche, who, you know, not a small guy at all, but had the right build, the right body type. And this is why sometimes you do, in an ideal world, prefer a left-handed throwing first baseman. It's just a better angle. It's, It's almost the same reason that 
a third baseman can't be left-handed. It's kind of the same deal. If he was trying to make a throw left-handed, he'd be in that same position. If you have a left-handed first baseman, you're actually in the right position for that. You can just throw a normal way. The runner isn't in your way. Uh, it's a lot smoother looking with a, a left-handed first baseman. And I have no idea how much Mike Rizzo is going to consider all of that as he decides what to do moving forward long-term at first base. But I do remember back in the day, he had to decide whether or not to re-sign Adam Dunn who at that point is playing first base for them. And he loved Dunn as a hitter, loved him as a person, did not love him as a defensive player, and didn't re-sign him, let the White Sox spend a lot on him. And he went out and signed Adam LaRoche, that winner, for a two-year deal. And one of the reasons he cited for that was he liked LaRoche's defense as a left-handed first baseman. We'll see what happens. We've got a long way to go to this point. But if they are in the market for a first baseman this winter, I do wonder if he might prioritize a left-handed fielding guy for that reason. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It's graduation season, and so that means it is Window Nation's graduation sale. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class with 0% financing for five full years, 60 months, and get two free windows with every two that you buy. Window Nation windows are the best. They are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available. Vinyl, wood, fiberglass. Price quotes are valid for six months. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask Window Nation for the graduation sale that you heard about from Al Galdi. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and get the special offer. Mention my name, Al Galdi, when you talk to Window Nation. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yuli Gurriel leads off for the Astros in the eighth. First pitch grounded up the third baseline. Backhanded deep by Franco, almost in the outfield, and his throw will pull the first baseman, Bell, off the bag. There's a long throw. Back of the infield, dirt almost to the outfield grass. Another moment of defensive sloppiness for the Nats on Sunday afternoon. Michael Franco in the top of the eighth. A leadoff first pitch infield single by Aledmus Diaz. This was initially ruled an error by Franco, then got changed. But, uh, you know, it was a grounder to Franco. And Franco ends up making a throw that takes Bell way off first base. And like I said, wasn't charged with an error ultimately. Could have been charged with an error. So, you know, this was another thing. I mean, again, look, it's an 8 nothing loss, right? These aren't the plays that determined the outcome of the game, but sloppiness. And you think back to the last two games now, the Bell play we just discussed, the Franco throwing error that wasn't a throwing error, uh, Victor Robles losing the ball in the sky on Saturday night, three bad defensive moments. Not a single one of those moments was an error, but those were all three really bad defensive moments. The Yadiel Hernandez drop of the fly ball Saturday night was an error, but, you know, you over the last two games have had four really bad defensive spots here for the Nats. You just would like to see that be cleaned up because at least if you're playing well defensively, that can help to mask some of these other issues. It feels like they've gotten worse defensively as the season has gone on because we talked about them looking good early in the year. And I tell you something that really stood out to me lately from Davey Martinez. This was at one of his postgame pressers within the last week or so. He flat out said a lot of the defensive mistakes are mistakes of laziness. He said, guys are being lazy out there. And you know, that's pretty bad. Like, it's one thing if you can't do it. It's another thing if you can do it and you're just not putting forth the effort for whatever reason or you're being too casual. And, you know, it's another instance of Davey kind of feeling himself at one of these pressers and saying the truth. But that really stood out to me. He says, look, these are lazy mistakes. we got to stop making them. And I thought the same thing when he said that. And it's, and he said it a few different times over, I think, several weeks now. You know, Josh Bell, yeah, you don't want to see that play, but he's he's doing the best he can. He's just not naturally gifted to make that play very easily, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, Victor Robles, as opposed to Escobar, Franco, some of those things that we've seen where these are happening on routine plays a lot of the time and they get sloppy. And I think that does uh, bother Davy a lot more. And, and, and it should. And yeah, it's an eight nothing game. So we can say, well, those weren't really the difference. But one of these days, they are going to be in a game that they you know, end up losing four to three. And you can say, well, boy, that one defensive play really cost them. It does have an impact on this stuff. And if you don't clean it up now, then it is going to hurt you when it matters more in a game that's more competitive. They're not a good defensive team overall. They have some good defensive players. They have had some good defensive games, but they're not a good defensive team overall. And I think that's one of the disappointments of this season so far is that Like you said, even if you don't hit a lot, even if you have some pitching issues, if you catch the ball, throw the ball well every night, that at least helps give you a chance, play a better brand of baseball. They haven't really done that. So just to put a bow on Corbin, five runs in six innings. He got pulled in the top of the seventh off giving up 
two runs, leadoff six-pitch walk of Jose Siri, who Corbin had down 0-2, and then Corbin gave up the two-run homer to Chaz McCormick to put the Astros up 5-0. Corbin had thrown 86 pitches, not a sky-high pitch total, but I guess Davey saw the three homers and had seen enough of Corbin on Sunday. Yeah, there was even a case to say don't let him come back out for the seventh after giving up the homer in the fifth, the homer in the sixth. But again, the pitch count's so low, you're like, all right, let's give him a shot at the bottom of the lineup. And the two walks ultimately is what did him in. Those were his only two walks of the game, right? Yeah, he didn't have any others. Besides that, both times, walk precedes a home run. You can't let a good lineup like that beat you that way. You got to make them earn it. If they're going to hit a solo homer, fine. But if you give them a free pass and then immediately give up a two-run homer following that, you're just asking for trouble, and unfortunately, that's the case. And it just it just brings me back to this whole thing with Corbin. You know, he talks about after he said it six times in his you know three minute interview with us all, all after the game. He says, you know, I felt good. Okay, you you felt good. That's fine. Like, yes, there are some positives here. You're in a better place than you were three weeks ago. But at some point, the results do matter, right? Like, I know we don't care about individual pitcher wins, but he is still stuck on zero for the season. He's 0-6. More than that, the team has not yet won a game that he has started. And some of that's a lack of offensive you know, run support. But a lot of that is just him not putting themselves in a position or him not coming through with those couple of big pitches late in a game that gives the team a chance to win. Maybe we're asking for too much at this point. Maybe we should just be satisfied that he has turned himself back into a you know somewhat competent big league pitcher as opposed to a guy who... We really are questioning whether he should be in the rotation at all anymore or not. But you'd like to see that next little step taken for a lot of them. I mean, how many times in the last week have we talked about, boy, so-and-so starting pitcher, he looked good, but then the final line didn't really uh, convey how well he pitched. It was just that one big homer he gave up or that one inning where it fell apart. You know, they got to clean that up. They got to be from start to finish. They've got to be right on top of it. And the walks are killing them. Maybe it's too much to ask for from them, but you'd like to see some growth there. And at least every once in a while, one of those starts where they don't just start strong, but they finish strong too. It's sad with Corbin, the bar has been lowered so much and that, you know, you can actually try to spin five runs in six innings into being, you know, hey, he did this, you know, it's the way I I talk to my four-year-old son. Hey, hey, good job. You know, like, no, Corbin's supposed to be a little better than that. He's supposed to be beyond that. Again, he's not Josiah Gray. He's not Joanna Doan. Remember, he was their opening game pitcher, right? He, in theory, is the ace of the staff. And like, this is how we're viewing him now. It just, you know, it captures what we've discussed so often. This is where he's at in his career at this point. The last time he faced the Astros before today, game seven of the World Series, three scoreless innings. So like, he's done it before. Obviously, it's a long time ago now, but it is pretty striking to think, that he was the guy they trusted to throw three scoreless innings in a do-or-die game in the World Series against that lineup and was fantastic against them. And here's where we are now, two and a half years later, that we have to try to find the positives in five runs and six innings. Yeah, there's still a lot with his decline that doesn't make sense. And there's still a part of me that thinks at some point there's going to be some reveal about what happened with him these last few years, because it really is strange how he has just fallen off like this. And, and, And he's almost like a totally different pitcher now in terms of production and what he gives you game in, game out, appearance in, appearance out. The Nats bullpen on Sunday afternoon was not particularly good. The bullpen was good in game one of the series, was kind of so-so in game two. And then in game three on Sunday afternoon, you had three relievers combining to give up three runs in three innings. Uh, Austin Voth, you know, when he's good, he looks great. And when he's not good, he doesn't do so well. 
Uh, he did not do well on Sunday. He, in what ended up being a four-run Astros seventh, allowed two runs on three singles and a walk to put the Nats down 7 nothing. Kyle Finnegan was good. He tossed a scoreless top of the eighth with two strikeouts, despite that error that wasn't an error on Michael Franco. And then, boy, our guy Paolo Espino, I mean, if if the leverage is rock bottom low, he gets brought into the game. I mean, I'm, I feel sorry for our guy. He gets brought into like the lowest leverage situations you can imagine. He comes into the game at the top of the ninth, 7 nothing. the Nats are down, gives up a first pitch leadoff homer to Jose Altuve to put the Astros up 8 nothing. I don't know. I feel like Paolo deserves better off what he did last year. He's been buried this season in terms of his usage. Yeah, that's who he is. Or that's how they're using him now. And it's unfortunate that that's the case for him. And, you know, it's funny. Altuve is the guy who you, everybody knows. Swings at the first pitch fastball. Can't let him beat you on that. So Paolo throws him a first pitch slider and he still hits it out. Can't do anything right. Can't win. Yeah, one of these days, I would kind of like to see Paolo or Josh Rogers pitch three innings in long relief, like in the middle of the game. See how that goes. I don't know. Maybe there's a shot at it. So many of these games have just not set up the way that you really want to to try to use your bullpen. I mean, Kyle Finnegan pitches the eighth inning because he had to pitch. He hasn't pitched enough. And just like we saw with Rainey on Saturday night, he just needed to pitch even though it was a blowout. They're just not in a lot of these close games in either direction. The games they've won, they've been blowouts, but they're losing a lot of games where they're down by a lot. We have had very few, hey, let's go to the seventh inning and the game's still up for grabs. Just hasn't happened. And I think that has, in some ways, affected the way that they've uh, managed their bullpen. Yeah, um, there's no doubt. We should be seeing more of Rainey and Finnegan. Hopefully, we will be. And like we discussed in the last installment of the podcast, if you have to force their ways into games just to get them work, see what they can end up doing for you. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. So the show I did for this past Thursday's game, you were not a part of, but that included that horrendous base running play by Juan Soto and Josh Bell. I assume you've seen it. You were aware of it? Oh, okay. Yeah. So oh, we got yeah. an email from Matt Davis in Rockville, Maryland, asking you for a Tootblan ruling. Soto, the lead at second, the 2-1 pitch. Swinging a ground ball to third. Soto's going to break for the bag, and he's hung up as Guillaume flips the ball to the shortstop Lindor. Now chasing him toward third. Walker applies the tag. Bell goes for second. Walker throws it in right field. Bell's going for third. Marte's throw it. He's going to be out. Tagged out by Lindor for a double play. Was that, in fact, a tootblan thrown out on the bases like a nincompoop? And Matt proposes that we raise the bar on this one and call it a toot Blaken thrown out on the bases like a couple of nincompoops because <laughs> that play really was bad by two guys who absolutely should know and do better in Juan Soto and Josh Bell. I got to think that was a toot Blaken, was it not? I give the seal of approval on that one. That is an excellent way to expand the great toot bland term for such a play as that. doesn't happen often that you get two nincompoops on one play on the bases. That absolutely qualified. So yes, I give my official seal of approval on the, what was it, Toot Blaken? Toot Blaken, yes. I'll allow it. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that was painful. Soto is still on third base with his stomach down. Josh Bell is running with his head down, doesn't see Soto there, and you end up with a double play. The other term for that, if you don't want to call it a Toot Blan, you can just call it a Nook Logan. What was Nook Logan thinking? What was he watching? Where was he going? 
that suffices as well. <laughs> yes, you can. You absolutely can do that. Well, if you have questions trying to find out the answers to the mysteries of the Nat season, like the mystery that we just solved, you can ask us whatever you want. Again, at Nats underscore chat on Twitter. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nats Chat Podcast. Subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, uh, if you're listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please write a brief one or two-sentence review saying how much that you like the podcast. The ratings and reviews help us out a lot. I know they can seem kind of silly, and they are kind of silly, but in the world of podcasting, the ratings and the reviews matter a lot. So if you could take like 30 seconds to do those, much appreciated. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Oh, no! The Nationals run themselves into two outs on the same play. Soto's out 5-6-1. Walker throws in at right field, and Bell's cut down by Marte trying to go to third. I don't know if I believe what I just saw. So that's a 5-6-1, 9-6 double play. And I can bet, Dave, we'll never see another one of those.